plus one. It's Baines Plus One with me, Samantha Baines, the show where I have one notable plus one each week and delve into their lives like a nosy neighbour. This week I had brilliant comedian Jenna Friedman, who has written for The Late Show with David Letterman, produced The Daily Show with Jon Stewart and is touring her stand-up show and in pre-production for her first feature film. Phew! I started by asking Jenna what she likes about stand-up. Stand-up I just love because it's such an immediate line to people that nobody can... Naughty swear word. Can I say... Naughty swear word. Radio. I mean, no, but you've said it twice. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you off for those two times. <laughs> so, the, okay. And, and how did you first get into stand-up comedy? I was doing improv, and then uh, improv was like the gateway drug to stand-up. To yeah. Count. Yeah. Stand-up is so intense. I just... But I was doing improv and I was playing all these characters and they all had the same point of view. They were all like afraid of AIDS. And so I was like, let's explore that. Let's explore this character that is the same person in every kind of different character. And so where did improv come from? Obviously in America, there's a lot more improv and there's a big improv scene. In the UK, it's kind of a bit smaller. Oh yeah, it's totally nerdy. I actually, got, I really got into comedy through my a paper I wrote about it, my senior thesis in anthropology in college, oh. and uh, and that's how I got into improv, and then through that I got into stand up. But Chicago, I was going to school in Chicago, and Chicago has a really rich history of improv from the WPA, I think, projects in the '30s to uh, University of Chicago, Second City Improv Olympic. And so on. Do you have any advice for anyone getting to improv? Second City came over to London and I did some improv with oh, them. Oh, cool. What would be your top improv tips? Just chill out. Great. And have fun. And listen. And uh, they say yes and, which is really just accepting the reality of the person on stage with you, making the people on stage with you look good, and then you'll look good. It's like life, you know? It's really cool. I love improv. It's like my rosebud. It's just... It's a... Uh, yeah. I like it. Just chill out. I think that's really good so advice. so many improvisers are like, I want to be funny. It's like, just be honest and have fun and be kind and help each other. And I think that's good advice for British people as well because we're very tense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we just, we just all need to chill out, don't we? Yeah. Um, would you, are you up for a quick fire round? I do this sure. with all my guests. I'll give you two uh, options. Okay. And you just tell it's me like which truth one or is dare. No, it's just questions. No, but we can play that later. (laughs) That would make for interesting radio. Maybe, maybe. Okay, here we go. So, Jenna Friedman, this is your quick fire round. City or countryside? Uh, City. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Early bird or night owl? Night owl. Pants or socks? Wait a minute. Well, pants (laughs) or socks? Yeah, just one. Uh, Pants. Car or train? Given the current climate, uh, <laughs> you know, train, train. Train. Pen or pencil? Pen. Ketchup in the cupboard or in the fridge? Fridge. Adventurous or cautious? I need more context. Um, <laughs> cautious. <laughs> Facebook or Twitter? Twitter. Live or TV? Live. Letterman or Daily Show? Oh, Daily Show, hands down, no question. New York or Chicago? <laughs> New York. Improv or stand up? Uh, stand-up. Surfing or traveling? Well, I love surfing and traveling. And the two are, like, so random. Um, traveling. There we go. You passed. Cool. I think you're the most chilled-out guest I've ever had. Normally people get really tense with the quick fire round. Oh. 
But you I was like, Letterman, I'll throw him under a bus. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about that. Why would you throw him under a bus? No, Did you I not just, enjoy working with him? I didn't know him. him. I didn't really know him. I, I met him twice. I was there for a year. It was a great, great first job. Everyone was really kind to me, but I it, it just was kind of... It wasn't my voice or anything. They taught me how to work a writing job, but The Daily Show was just the next level. I mean, it was a totally... So that's weird, isn't it? That you, so you're writing for Letterman on the show, but yeah. you only met him twice. Yeah. Was he nice? Ooh, so... <laughs> I don't do... I shouldn't say this out loud. <laughs> well, no, that's he was, fine. Just say he it on was the radio. Lovely. No, okay, I'll say this on the radio, because it's an interesting story. Um, and it's true. When I first met Dave, I met him on my first day, and he actually... Um, the, the writer that was hired before me was hired, I think he was hired six years prior and hadn't met Dave until a year and a half in. His name is Joe Grossman. He's he's hilarious. He's writing on Sam B's show now. Just like dumb. You guys are, whatever. Um, but he didn't meet Dave for a year and a half. And then I met him my first day. And one of the head writers brought me down to meet Dave. And they, he his office had like a like a keypad to get, I mean, it was like very, very oh secure. And like so, the White House. <laughs> yeah, probably more so. But yeah, and then, because uh, he was like there for 30 years at the time, you know, each president's only there for like eight. And Dave had a history of like, you know, a lot of crazy people in and out of his orbit. Um, so we go in and before I even sit down, he offers me, he like hands me a bowl of lollipops and offers me a lollipop. And I just kind of like laughed because I thought he was joking. Like and at the dentist when they give you yeah, a lollipop if you've been good. Yeah. And I looked at his agent who was in this like powder blue suit and I was like, are you going to have a lollipop? And the agent said no. And then I looked at my boss and I was like, are you going to have a lollipop? And he said no. And then I just kind of like laughed and I was like, no, like I'm not going to put like a have a lollipop in it. Like sucking on a lollipop the first time I meet like a boss who has like a public sex scandal you know like out there <laughs> it was just so weird but he was very nice he said this is a terrible place to work but it'll look good on your resume he asked me to tell him a joke he's the only person who's ever asked that that I was like happy to tell a joke to he was very cordial um and then I like ran into him one time at the Christmas party those are my only interactions with him so he asked you to tell him a joke. That sounds like a scary interview scenario. Yeah, and at the time, all my jokes were just like super, super dark. So then I told him a joke that like about a turkey that I wrote for someone else. It was really lame. And he <laughs> was like, haha. And I'm like, I know, but. And, and then you went on to have a beautiful time there. Yeah, I would be in a room for like 12 to 14 hours just writing jokes. It was really like solitary. But so it really not, taught me a lot. I mean, it was a good job to have. And I only was there for a year. And so you didn't work with a team of people. You literally just worked Well, we would own. like, this was new. We would like have a writer's meeting in the morning, which they ha they didn't used to have. And it was like a, just kind of half an hour writer's meeting. And then you pitch your stuff and then you go in and you work on that. And then you get assignments throughout the day. It was like really, it was almost like a time warp. It was a very old school way of doing things. Yeah. The other late night shows I, I think are more collaborative to some degree. And like no one has their own offices like you did at Letterman. I mean, that was like the last of the... Oh, wow. And did you did you enjoy that process of writing on your own or do you, and do you do that now or do you like to be more collaborative? Oh, I, well, it depends. Like I've written two screenplays now and I wrote them on my own and I love doing that because it, if you, 
I mean, there's a madness to it, but I think like if you really want like a distilled voice, it's nice to write alone. If you're or, or if you're like you like writing partners, that's a whole you know that's a way to do it. It's a lot more fun. Um, it, de- it depends on what I'm writing. Uh, I-, I like both, but but I do also enjoy writing alone. <laughs> I enjoy being oh, alone. So you're looking at me and like, you're just like, who are you? Ugh. Well, I've written, so I like wrote a television pilot with a friend and it was fun, but it just didn't sound like me. And yeah. then I've written two features and they've been so painful, but so enjoyable. And I'm proud of them. And even if I have to make them myself, it's like they're exactly what I want to say. And it's my voice and it's going to get messed up in the process of, you know, collaboration, which is a beautiful, fun, messy process. But right now it's like, like I've had friends read it and they're like, oh, that's so clearly you. And it's yeah. fun to, to like. Your voice is not diluted in any way. It's just pure you on the page. Yeah. I like that. So you're writing about Ebola. Oh, you read that. So it's really not about Ebola. It's okay. a comedy about a woman in a quarantine for like an Ebola-like illness. Okay. So it's called Carl. Coronavirus-associated reticular lymphopenia. It's not a real thing, but it could be. My friend who is an infectious disease specialist, I was like, can you give me a disease with the pathology of Ebola, but like an emasculated man's name, like (laughs) Carl? So it's called 21 Days of Carl, and it's a satire. Yeah, no reference to Ebola. I love that you have a friend who specializes in diseases. I know, I actually, yeah. uh, we uh, We have a podcast called Viral, and we talk about an infectious disease and we talk to somebody who's like lived through it oh or has gosh. it every we have you know that sounds thing called howl in the states i don't know anything about radio or podcasts and, you know. <laughs> where can we find and listen to this i think on howl which is like yeah we just what, do you know what that is no i haven't I don't, heard of it i don't know anything do you put them on twitter We've only had three, and uh, yeah, I'll like retweet. Yes, so we can follow you on Twitter. Oh, What's yeah. your Twitter handle? It's my name, Jenna with one N. Jenna with one N, everyone. Come on. People always spell my surname wrong, which is why I have it on a necklace around my neck. Oh. So no one, did you, I mean, feel free. I'll, I'll get you a Jenna one with one N. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so um, tell us about The Daily Show. How did that come about? So you've it done Letterman. Wonderful. So I, uh, I was, I, a friend of mine who was on the show, Wyatt Snack. there's a field producer position open, and he, uh, and I was like leaving Letterman, and he's like, you should check this out. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. I didn't know what field producer meant, but basically you're a writer, director for Jon Stewart. You basically are like a short filmmaker, and it was awesome and it taught me so much. And so I'm directing my first feature and the reason I'm even going in with any remote confidence is because of the experience, you know, making upwards of 20 daily show pieces where you're like directing and you're directing politicians who don't want to look stupid, which is way harder than directing actors. <laughs> and uh, the freedom that we had to make pieces we wanted to make, to make pieces, like John was very encouraging if I wanted to do a piece on there was this one thing. I was really mad at the pharmaceutical companies for pushing oxy on like people with chronic pain. My dad's an anesthesiologist, and he like has been like giving acupuncture to veterans because they're all like there's so many that are just addicted to painkillers. Anyway, uh, it's kind of a long-winded story, but two counties in California were suing the major pharma companies for 
basically lying about these drugs, saying they're not addictive when they are. Mm. And I, I wanted to do a piece on it. And it's like, what's funny about the opioid epidemic? And John was like, go figure it out. And he let me. <laughs> and we, I did that piece with Michael Che before he left for SNL. And that, we made it work. Like, it, it kind of was funny in the sense that it was like a, almost like a parody of The Insider. And at one point we got a guy who used to work in the FDA to sit down with us. And I forget the line, but it was like, um, he says these drugs are totally safe for people with chronic pain. And we say, yeah, and it's not like anyone's paying you to say that. And then his, he just kind of like turned white. <laughs> and we're like, are you getting, he's like, well, my company is sponsored by Pfizer. And that was just the moment. That's like what it's all about. And it was a powerful piece. And it wasn't the funniest, but I had like, you know, physicians writing letters saying that they were so happy to see that issue covered on the daily show yeah so for you is is maybe your comedy is it more about thanks for calling it comedy <laughs> <laughs> no but is it more about the message and covering interesting totally. topics rather than gag 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 no I'm not even pretending to like try to make people laugh I don't care <laughs> <laughs> people don't people can laugh at like a you know someone slipping on a banana peel like I just yeah, I totally have an agenda. And I, when I first started with improv, they were like so discouraging of having an agenda. And even comedians I know who I love, who are uh, a comedian friend of mine, just had an interview in like New York Magazine where he's like, I'm not, I don't have an agenda. And we're like, you totally have an agenda and it's amazing, but just own it. And I mean, I, I, yeah, I have an agenda. I'm not like, I don't, and I don't want it to be like a leftist you know, partisan agenda. Like, I think I think the larger thesis that if I do another show, maybe I'll talk about it, is that we're all so much more similar than, you know, we're told to believe we are, like, either by the media or politics or whatever, or religion. And I know it sounds really hokey, but trying to get to break through all that, because I think as people, most of us on, like, a base level are want the same things. And so, yeah. I don't know. So, so what would you say your agenda is? If you had to sum it up in a sentence. Oh. I know it's really hard. Soz. <laughs> well, somebody asked me, like, why I wrote my first script that we're in pre-production for. This isn't my agenda, but it was really funny because no one had asked me that. And I was like, I guess I want... It's basically about dating. It's about, like, a girl who falls in love with a serial killer. And they try to make it work. So it's not about murder. It's just about love. And uh, at the time, I was just, like, having a really hard time just living in New York and, like, trying to connect... Not like date. You can fuck anyone. Sorry, you can <laughs> number pull. three. I like it. Let's see how you many. You can shag can. anyone. You know, as a woman, like in New York, you can just walk. But it, it's not about that. It's just like connecting. So she's like, "Why did you write this?" And I was like, "I guess I want women or just anyone to feel like less alone, but yeah. also scared." Uh, <laughs> I Great. like that, and so I don't. That's definitely not like a thesis for what I'm trying to do, like politically. But I, I do think like comedically, I like people to feel less alone, but also scared. It, it's funny to me. Because I feel like we should feel scared and there's power in that. Like, you know, if you're aware of stuff, you can maybe make smarter decisions or live in the moment. I like it. Not let fear overcome you, overtake you. Wow. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm scared, <laughs> but I'm owning it. Um, so, so tell us about this new feature and, and what, it, what it's like for you directing. Because obviously, you know, comedy is... 
inevitably called a man's world and we're women in it and directing is a man's world. You know, the stats yeah, show definitely. that there aren't very many women. Have you found that an interesting process? Have you found that being a woman in these areas has been a thing for you or have I mean, is it, it is not a, been it a consideration? Is, it is definitely a thing. It's always a thing. It's never not going to be a thing. It's just how it's a thing. <laughs> um, uh, so I'll be directing the first feature. I haven't yet. We're in early stages of pre-production trying to find our male lead. We have our female lead. I don't know if I can say her name, but she is British. Oh. But she'll be playing an American. Lovely. Uh, I mean, I should just point out this point in time I am an actor Jenna and I've been in called oh, midwife so nice. I just you know lay that in there casually nice um, no sorry carry on so directing so and I'll be directing it and it's an indie feature so and we have our financing sorted out which is really exciting uh, and one of our financiers is female and I think that kind of helps yeah definitely uh, it'll be interesting I think it's surrounding yourself by really smart talented people who who have the same vision as you and will and understand your vision and amplify your vision. And I think from, I have mentors who are directors who are men and women and they've kind of guided me, but I think a lot of the female director thing is tough because there's so much money that goes into these films. Like our, our budget is like 2.5 million. And that's and, indie, isn't it? And that's indie. Yeah. And when you just talk, when you have money in, in addition to everything else, it, it does make it, you know, it is harder for women. It's harder for women to get money. Sometimes it's harder if you have a team of people. I actually was talking to two male directors who I find to be iconic, and I was just a fly on the wall of their conversation, really excited to be. But they were talking about directing, and they said, you're really the father figure on set. And neither of them even winced or like looked at me to even acknowledge that saying something like that is weird you know but that's what the director is everybody looks to the director as like the father figure and the director gives everyone like confidence and makes them feel safe and whatever and it's it is interesting just how that dynamic shifts when it's a female mm. for 50 I mean you know it's a whole this is another like hour conversation that I am I don't know the answers because I'm walking into it but yeah being not being afraid to ask questions and surrounding yourself by really talented people and just, you know, planning everything ahead of time, storyboarding and or being the mother figure or, or just being the I can't, director. I can't be the mother figure, right? Because <laughs> it'll just be my mom like making everyone crazy. <laughs> terrible well it sounds like it's a really exciting time and you and we're talking a bit obviously here about feminism and you say you explore that in your show at the soho theater very much (laughs) very much um so where did your love of dark comedy come from who are you inspired by as comedians i'm a big fan of sarah silverman love her are you yeah down that uh edward gorey raw doll uh edgar Allan (laughs) poe Good. My comedy was a lot darker. It's lightened up, to be honest. Um, Joan Rivers, Sarah Silverman, Richard Pryor, uh, friends like uh, Reggie Watts, Kate Berlant, um, Hannibal Burris, tons of comedians. And did you, when you started out in stand-up, did you think, I like them, so I want to write comedy like that? Or did you just find a voice and go with it? When I was doing improv, I saw women, actually, I wanted to be like, but I didn't really see that so much in stand-up. It was even before Sarah's show. I always kind of saw Sarah, but uh, it was before, like, I think when Tina and Amy were hosting SNL, but it wasn't, I didn't see any, like, female stand-ups who were doing, like, the political, who were doing political stuff. Like, Bill Hicks is one of my favorite stand-ups. Yeah. 
And I just didn't see that so much. And that, that also is encouraging because you're like, maybe I can find that place for myself. But yeah, I mean, I, uh, I'm kind of, this show particularly doubles down on the feminism. But to me, feminism is just equality. I'm, I'm excited to break away from like the femaleness of it. it so overtly, it's very overtly female and mm. kind of, it ties well to the election just because of Hillary and there's a lot of interesting stuff there. But um, it is also fun to be able to be like feminist and not have to talk about like women on stage. Yeah, just be a woman just be doing a woman comedy. doing uh, like political outward directed comedy, yeah. And cause, because it's so political, your work, and obviously that changes day to day, moment to moment, do you find like when you were in Edinburgh, did you update the show based on the current you know, political environment. Yeah, I mean, I wrote the show as I was going, which people, I guess, don't really do here. Uh, and I've been writing mine since last year. <laughs> well, I mean, my first night here, it was the night out, it was the night of the Belgium attacks, and I was really scared. And I talk about stuff like that in the show, and it's such a fine line, and you want to be sensitive, and they're just nights that you just don't want to do comedy. And so, I did have a reviewer come, and he was like, you know, she. Like, it seemed like a workshop, and it's like, yeah, because I'm talking about stuff that's happening as we're talking about it. Yeah. How do you do that confidently, and should you do that confidently? And isn't the power of stand-up to be able to have that conversation with the audience, like, while it's happening, because that's why we're all here together. I mean, so I'm trying, I, I do read the reviews, they don't bother me too much. Again, my mom's critical, but it is just like, in the States, we don't have, like, I think I had like 13 reviewers come out to Edinburgh I've only done the show two nights and had like two reviewers at at least the first show so it's just like a lot to try to um, not care what people think in terms of the, the reviews but also update your show and not be afraid to update it when new things come in yeah. not be afraid that someone's going to call you sloppy or inexperienced or whatever and obviously as comedians when we try new material there's also always that fear because some of it's just not going to work yeah. do you get that fear every night or do you is that what you kind of work off uh, a little bit of both. Um, I try not to, if I take a stance on an issue that's touchy, I'll, like I just don't want to be on the wrong side of it. You know, I talk about trans women and it took me a while to do it in a way that was like sensitive and smart, but also articulated my kind of frustration with the whole Caitlyn Jenner phenomenon. Phenomenon, Jenner, stop. Okay. Uh, <laughs> with the whole Caitlyn, you know, the... Uh, so it's like you want to talk about things, but you want to do it in a way that's responsible, that's thoughtful, that's sensitive. Yeah. And oh, right, uh, funny, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't care about that. I, I love don't. that. I don't I love care. That. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and, I'm doing my first solo show this oh, year in Edinburgh. So, so I'm going to try and take all these tips and just yeah. like, I don't care, guys. Just have fun. It's just a play. It doesn't need to be funny. So uh, we, must, we must talk also about, because obviously you react so quickly to things that happen in the media oh, and in Ken politics. Kratz. Yes. Someone asked on <laughs> Facebook that I must, I must ask if um, if he smells nice. That, that um, was I Facebook didn't get question. close enough to him to smell him. <laughs> or maybe I like was drinking whiskey in my... No, I don't... I, that, I pass. <laughs> can, can you explain to us a little bit what happened if people don't know? So I was tweeting about how I thought the lead... So it, Making a Murderer, if you don't know, is a show on Netflix, a docu-drama about um, how photographers used to have careers 
Um, <laughs> it's no. about it's about a guy who's being a charged guy for who murder. Lit a cat on fire, and um, a, I guess a world divided over whether he did the same thing to a woman. Yeah, but I I'm pretty sure he did. And so I uh, was tweeting about how I thought he was guilty. And because uh, that's also just like my go-to, like everyone's like guilty until proven innocent. And then Gothamist, this website in New York, reached out and they said they were like, "We kind of we like how your take is different. Would you want to write something for us?" And I thought maybe we could do a video. And I was like, "If you could find someone like Ken Kratz, would they be willing to sit down?" And he just happened to be in town, and we just did the interview with him. And he was a even... He was and he's most, in the documentary. He's in the documentary. Say. He plays the lead prosecutor. He's based, He's the most unlikable person in this, in the documentary, even more than the attempted, or the, the guy that they think might be the murderer. This guy comes out as the most, like, despicable, like, person. And I wanted to punch him after I watched <laughs> that show. But I also, as I kind of went down the rabbit hole and, like, read more about the case that wasn't in the docuseries... It made me kind of see the whole case in a different light. And I wanted to talk to him because I wanted to get a sense of his humanity for better or for worse. I, I mean, he was the show really character assassinated him. He had a sexting scandal that came out that had nothing to do with the trial or the case. But the documentarians put that in the series. Yeah. And they and so I I did not think that I would get him. And then once I got him. It was fun because we. I wanted to actually have the interview be informative because the show has such a rabid fan base. Yeah. So you wanted to kind of ask real questions. But then also I wanted to get a sense of who he was. And then also when I got a sense of who he was, I wanted to show that. But it was really weird. I mean... <laughs> I think well, we it's did. very. If you go through your Twitter sort of media, it's all pictures of like photos of making a murderer. I love it. But um, we're going to have to wrap up, yeah. Jenna. But thank you so so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. We can um, so we can check out all your stuff via your Twitter. Yeah, I, Twitter is probably the best. Yeah, Jenna. It's just at Jenna Friedman. Isn't yeah, it? J E N A, and then spelled like fried man. man. <laughs> Good. We were talking about feminism earlier, but that, not that sort of feminism. We don't want to kill no, men. And no, no, I'm not Miss Andrews. Not cannibalistic. Um, also, definitely, definitely check out her show, American the C Word, which say. we can't say. Naughty swear word. Um, which she's now said. So, um, sorry about that. <laughs> if you definitely check it out at Soho Theatre on until Saturday. There's still some tickets left, aren't there? Yeah. But grab them quickly because I, I'm going to be booking ASAP. Thank you so much. Thanks for having Jenna me. Jenna Friedman. You're listening to the Baines Plus One podcast on iTunes, originally recorded on Hoxton Radio. Please hit subscribe to hear more interviews with TV names and stars of comedy. And a five-star rating would be nice.